Section 19 of Exposition of the Apostles' Creed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devorah Allen. Exposition of the Apostles' Creed by James Dodds. Article 5, Section 2. The Third Day He Rose Again from the Dead. On the morning of the first day of the week, thenceforth hallowed as the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, the soul of Jesus left Hades, and once more and forever entered the body, and formed with it the perfected humanity of the Word made flesh. The resurrection of Jesus is a well-attested fact of history. The close-sealed, sentinelled sepulchre, the broken seal, the stone rolled away, the trembling guard, the empty tomb, and the many appearances of Jesus to the women, the disciples, the brethren, and last of all to Saul of Tarsus, prove that he had risen. The resurrection was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Peter thus interprets Psalm 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption, affirming that David, in that psalm, speaks of the resurrection of Christ. Jesus himself often foretold, both figuratively and directly, his own resurrection, as when he spoke of the coming destruction of the temple, and connected it with the death and resurrection of his body, or when he told the disciples that in a little while they should not see him, and again in a little while they should see him. The place which this doctrine holds in the Christian faith is shown by the numerous references to it in the epistles. The apostles had not grasped the statements of Christ in such a way as to lead them to look with confidence for his return, or to gather hope of his resurrection. On the contrary, they did not expect his resurrection, and when they heard of it, they could not believe it to be real. Yet, convinced by the evidence of their own senses, they came to hold it fast as the fact that crowned all their hopes in life and death. Although the preaching of Jesus and the resurrection exposed them to persecution and martyrdom, they nevertheless continued to proclaim a risen Lord. If Christ is not risen, says Paul, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. And he goes on to admit that if the resurrection had not taken place, he was altogether mistaken in the view of God's character set forth in his preaching and epistles. Peter makes a similar statement. We are begotten again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is his victory over death that confirms the truth of his claims. He is proved to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So important a fact was it regarded in connection with their work, that when they met to select a successor to Judas in the Apostolic College, it was held to be essential that no one should be appointed who was not able to testify that he had seen the risen Lord. Paul regarded this doctrine as so necessary that he made it the basis of faith and salvation. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The life of Paul is an unanswerable argument for the truth of the resurrection. Not only did he preach this as the central doctrine of Christianity, he maintained it at the cost of all that before his conversion he had held dear. He was not a man to give his faith to such a doctrine without overwhelming evidence of its truth. As Saul of Tarsus, he had been in the fullest confidence of the Jewish rulers, and knew all that they could urge against the reality of the resurrection. 
but their arguments had no weight with one who had seen the risen Lord on the way to Damascus. The importance of the resurrection of Christ as an argument for the divine origin of Christianity is recognized alike by those who receive and by those who reject it. Negative criticism has assailed the doctrine and has devised ingenious theories to explain on natural grounds the testimony on which it is received. The diversity of such explanations goes far to refute them, and their utter failure to account for the marvelous effects which the appearances of the risen Jesus produced on the witnesses, or for the place which the doctrine held in their teaching, has tended rather to establish than to discredit the reality of the resurrection. Various skeptical theories, to which much importance was attached for a time, are now almost forgotten. The mythical theory fails to account for the immediate effect produced by belief in the resurrection. Myths require time for their growth and development, but the disciples of Jesus set the resurrection in the forefront from the very first. On the day of Pentecost, Peter sounded the keynote of apostolic preaching when he declared, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. And so from this time forward, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The historical fact not only rests upon the most irresistible evidence, it is the very cornerstone of the whole fabric of gospel teaching. Another view of the testimony for the resurrection has found advocates who claim that it explains, without having recourse to supernaturalism, the belief of the disciples and others in the doctrine. With some minor differences of detail, they agree in attributing the persistency of those who said that they had seen Jesus alive to the impression produced on them by his wonderful personality. This, they hold, was so strong that the effect continued after his death, and the disciples saw visions of him so vivid that they believed them to be real appearances. He had filled so much of their lives while he was with them that they were unable to realize his departure, and retained his image in their hearts continually. Exalted and excited feeling projected his figure so that they saw him apparently restored to life. A theory such as this will not stand in the face of the evidence for the resurrection. It was no subjective impression, but the Savior himself, that brought conviction to the minds of the numerous witnesses. It was no apparition, it was a body that they saw and handled and tested, and proved to be of flesh and blood. They heard their master speak, and saw him eat, and at frequent intervals for forty days he showed himself to them. Sometimes he was seen by one, sometimes by many, and before his ascension he charged them to carry on the work he had committed to them, to feed his sheep, to feed his lambs, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Him, said Peter, God raised up on the third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. What they saw was the true body of their Lord, the same that had been crucified, dead, and buried. But a marvelous change had passed over it. It was now possessed of spiritual qualities, suddenly appearing, suddenly vanishing, now felt to be made of flesh and bones, and now passing through closed doors or walking upon water. It was no longer subject to natural law as it had been before the resurrection. And when the disciples beheld the Lord, they had not only proof of his continued existence, of his being God as well as man, and of God's seal having been set upon his atoning work, they had also an intimation of what life hereafter will be for his followers, who shall be like him, for they shall see him as he is. 
How full and widespread was the belief in the resurrection of Jesus in the hearts of those who were its witnesses is apparent not only from the fact that the great theme of their preaching was Jesus and the Resurrection, but is also evident from the importance they attach to the Lord's Day and the Lord's Supper. These institutions have a direct connection with the Resurrection, the former having been substituted for the Jewish Sabbath expressly on the ground that on that day the Lord rose. The latter, while it commemorates his death, sets forth also his resurrection life. End of section 19